Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. Alrighty, I guess I'm supposed to be on for the sermon now, right? That's, a, that's unusual. That's better than me singing, that's it anyway. <laughs> um, but think about it, make sure you thank them too, because you never know uh, when it will be the last time. The uh, and Father's Day uh, happened down in, in 2015. I was listening to the radio, and one individual I liked to listen to was the late Herman Cain. Uh, Herman Cain was a believer, but he also was on the radio and gave a lot of interesting things. And I'll never forget him coming up with the deal and says, our next segment is going to be GPS. I'm thinking, GPS? What in the world? He said, GPS is Guiding Principles to Success. And people then would call in and tell him, and he then on the spur of the moment would give them guiding principles to help them through that situation. And that's a whole lot easier said than done because you don't know what kind of question you're going to be getting uh, being asked. I wanted you to think about that. What about for Father's Day, guiding principles for success for Father's Day? And I think what we have in today's society, so many uh, single parents or people without uh, fathers or mothers or whatever, think of Pregnancy Resource Center and so many others, a lot of things that we can do to help. So let's think about those things, the guiding principle to success. I think the first one is taking the first step. Taking the first step. How many of you are always waiting for the other person to take the first step? You think about it, in John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world, what? Who took the first step? Romans 5, but God demonstrated His love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? Christ died for us. You think about in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, love covers a multitude of what? Okay, how many of us are taking the first step? I think we're so often, you think about the prodigal son. Who took the first step? The prodigal son was coming back and said, I'll be, you know, I'm going to be, had this speech rehearsed, if you recall, and he was just wanting to be a servant. His dad sees him from a distance, and what does he do? Which, by the way, that means he was looking for him, wasn't he? How many months and years, possibly, was he sitting there looking every day? And he automatically was going to. I think it's interesting. He didn't justify what the son did, but he was willing to celebrate his coming back. And I think a lot of times. So I think one is one thing is just as a parent or grandparent, what's the first step? you can do in showing your love. I think it's interesting, I was reading one this past week, and this is at Dallas Seminary, and they were given an assignment that they all had to go with the chaplain for 24 hours in an emergency room. And uh, if you've been to an emergency room, I know some of you, uh, Bonnie has been there a few too many times, uh, but you see a lot of things. So this guy was there, and that was his assignment. And a person had come in and had a rough life and it slit her wrists again. And it was apparent on her wrists that she had done it many other times. 
Now what would you do? He said he didn't say anything. He just listened and let her talk and do all kinds of things and really wasn't lecturing her and all the rest of that. And at the end of it, she said, Sir, are you Jesus? If he had lectured like a lot of us would have done, what would the answer have been? So I think one, taking the first step a lot of times, just, just have a listening ear. Second one I think about, uh, Proverbs 22 and verse 6, we can all quote it. Train up a child what? The way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart on The uh, How many know what the word way means there? Any of you know what that word means? It's misquoted a great, great deal. This is what my master's thesis was on. Discipline and the child parent-child relationship. The word bend is actually the word where we get the word for bow and arrow. When you bend a bow and arrow, when you bend the bow, can, how many directions can you bend it correctly? One. Each one has a different, uh, what they call a test. You can only bend it back so, so much or it'll break. So each child, we have to train, we have to know the child, we have to know the bent of the child. Now obviously they're bent towards sin, that's true. But they're going to have different abilities or different interests. We have to find out what those are. But we cannot treat them all the same because we're going to bend one, they can be really bend it hard, but we do that with the other and they're going to break. And so I think it's interesting, you take a little bow and arrow that Dakota might have, and you try to pull on it very much, what's going to happen? It's going to snap. They make that bow, that tension enough to where he can pull it, but it won't be one like you would go, a compound bow you'd go hunting with or whatever, and need a lot more attention. So when you think about it, when you're looking at it, I think it's important as a parent then to really look at what, how have they been. I'll give you a couple examples in my own life, what happened. You know, I love sports. Will got into sports and I really understood to relate to him with all the different basketball, football, you know, I was coaching all the different sports. Well, then Jesse comes along. She wants to please Dad, so she gets into basketball. She didn't care a whole lot for basketball. I mean, she had ability. Same with softball. She had really ability. They didn't care. And she was running up and down the basketball court. She ran like a horse. She literally would run up and down, kind of like this. And... Finally, a couple of the parents just turned to me and said, Dad, forget basketball. Just buy her a horse. <laughs> I mean, he was a parent. She had a, her best friend was on the other team. And there was a rebound, and she just stood there. She had inside position. She was taller. She let her friend get it, let her friend shoot, score, go back down. Well, what are you doing? Well, she's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but you get her on with horses, and you get her in that. Now, there's, there's a totally different side of it. So basically, sports wasn't for her. Same thing with Ruthie. Put Ruthie in soccer. And Jean could tell you, know, she was the youngest on the team, had never played, and she was just a lot of times just standing there. <laughs> and she, you know, at the end, she did a little bit. But Ruthie has no interest in sports. She's never really had much interest in any of the sports. But you can get her with a horse or do anything else, and then the competition comes out, and they really 
to this day, both of them are still in fact, actually yesterday they both were at a horse show showing the horses. Just a different bin. I don't understand all that. But that's but we, if we're going to, we have to understand the person that we're dealing with. They have a different bin than what we have. So we need to work with them to help them develop that. And I think it's interesting uh, how many of us are really looking. And by the way, people change. So we never can stop learning and listening because they will be developed. Well, I see what my kids are doing today. I never would have put them in those positions, but they're doing fabulous with the different jobs they have. And so I think a lot of times we as parents can limit our kids when we need to allow them to look at different things. So one taking the first step, and I think the second one is to study, to listen, and to understand. Uh, and you'll find that too as a teacher you'll come back and Shelley can tell you I'm sure many stories when people come back from college and afterward and you see where they were it's like well I didn't you know they really can surprise some of them you think I can see that others you think man I never saw that one coming but boy they have really developed let's look at another one I think it's interesting you look over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and also chapter 4 Paul's writing to the Corinthians so Taking the first step and the second study, listening and understanding your child. Uh, one of the hard ones is how about practice what you preach? In 1 Corinthians 11, I will quote it, verse 1, and then we'll go to chapter 4. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that's quite a statement. I always can look at all our kids, the grandkids, and everything else. Do you want to know how to live the Christian life? Follow me. That's what Paul was saying. I'm imitating Christ. And I think for a lot of us, you learn how to do things a lot better when you get to see somebody doing it. It's much harder just with a book or anything else. In fact, I was even at work this last week and we're on some different wells and the guy who's been there a while was talking to another one. He said, the only way you're going to learn this is by experiencing it and actually hearing it and everything else. A book will not tell you what's going wrong with these different things, which is what I've been trying to explain to people a long time out there. A book will not tell you. You have to be able to experience it. But I think true is the same thing with when we follow. Look over in chapter 4. So 11.1 is be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But look at chapter 4. And Paul is going to tell you why he has the right to do this. And notice starting in uh, verse 15 of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, it says, For if you were having countless tutors in Christ, you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So he's their spiritual father. I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. I want you to use this. Uh, I had a friend, in fact, he was my closest friend when I was in elementary school. He moved and I was in, had him for a couple of years. Ross was his name, Ross Zerner. Moved down to Houston. But anyway, I never forget, he started smoking. And, uh, you know, I didn't, didn't uh, smoke or do that. He just started early trying it out. Both his parents smoked. And I had to give their parents credit, his parents credit. When they caught him and some other uh, neighbors smoking in the backyard in their little fort, they made the statement, well, we can't expect you to be doing things that 
or not do things that were done. So they were they quit smoking cold turkey, saying, "We don't want you to smoke, therefore we're going to have to change." And I said, "That that's hard. I mean, that's, that's quite a habit to understand. Very difficult to get rid of." But think about it. How many of us are practicing what we want? I think the one thing we can do that's the challenge. Be like Christ, and I want you to follow me. But the course that can really help us do that, one is through prayer. Do you remember in Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24, uh, David makes the statement, Search me, O God, and what? Try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. How many of us really are, are open to that? Lord, anything that's out there that I'm doing that's wrong, show me. Could each be showing you through somebody else? So I think it's interesting. Most of us are very comfortable in our own skin. And I've gone far enough. I don't want to do it anymore. And he's saying, anything there is, show me and I'm going to change it. So I think one is practice what you preach through prayer can help us. The second one, I think, is through the uh, Word of God. You remember it says, search, you know, Psalms 119, Thy Word of I what? in my heart that I might sin against thee. That word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So if the Word of God is really showing me what to do or what not to do, tells you what to do with your mouth, tells you what to do with your hands, tells you what to do with your feet, tells you what to do with everything. If we're really listening to the Word of God. How many of you find it, if you're like me, when things, if you're uh, you know, out of fellowship with the Lord, you don't want to go to the Word of God. Why is that? Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing you into the soul. You know, you get to open the Bible up, and all of a sudden, if you're really allowing it to speak to you, it can, it, it'll slice you up. So I think one, if we really want to go on the right course, and we really want to practice what we preach, one is through prayer. Two is going to be through the Word of God. But if you're not in the Word of God, it can't tell you. And I think the last one on talking about practicing what you preach is look over in Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. And you have three different ones in this particular uh, passage talking about this third part. So one is prayer, one is the Word of God. But notice in verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So what kind of friend is that going to be then? That's going to be a, a, a true friend who's going to tell you when you're not doing it. How many of us only want to have friends around us to tell us what we want to hear? No, I'm being serious. And usually when you're doing things or you're, you have disagreements or you have whatever, how many of you do we just go to the friends who we know are going to tell us that we're right? Or how many of us are going to be going to a true person who's going to say, you messed up there. You did this. A true friend is going to tell you the truth. And I think it's important for us to have friends like that, accountability. And you go down to uh, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. That means you're going to have to be listening. You're going to have to have a friend who's going to tell you. And you notice in verse 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If we really want to really practice what we preach, we have to have friends who are going to be open and honest with us. But you're actually going to have to spend time with them. You're going to have to open up to them. And in the society that we live today, 
We don't have a lot of that. And I find that especially true with men. Do not have close friends uh, where they would open up like this. And I think it's one of the things that we need very, very much. So those two, three things. The first one was taking the first step. I was always waiting for the other guy to take the first step. Second one is practicing what you preach. And then the third one, like I said, are the, uh, the enlisting to your child. What kind of bend do they have? In Luke 6 and verse 40, a member says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, will be as his teacher. You know, Gene and I had a student, and he's really turned out well today, but I'll never forget when his, he, uh, he walked into my classroom. And I had him for the first time. Didn't know anything about it. And I thought, I have never met a guy more sarcastic than what this individual is. Man, he was sarcastic. All the time. In fact, his first marriage, I think, failed. Part of that could be that. But on parent teacher night, a man walked in the door. Never met him before. It didn't take just a couple of minutes for me to say, I know whose son, I know whose dad that is. I mean, there's no question. And I think it's important both his parents were that way, and he's had to really try to derive that. And he's a very, very caring, kind individual today. But we can overcome, but we have to realize we become so much like the people we're around. Another one I think is interesting. Look over in uh, Genesis chapter 5. Never heard a sermon on this, but I think we need one someday. Part of that is because there's only two verses in the Bible where this individual is even mentioned. Notice in Genesis chapter 5, and it's interesting when you go through each one, it'll talk about so-and-so lived and he died. So-and-so was a father, so-and-so and he died. It kept going all the way through it. Did such and such die? Did such and such die? You think, man, this is boring. Notice when you go down to verse 20, talking about Jared, or 19. Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch. He had other sons and daughters. And after all the days of Jared, 962 years, he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Notice in verse 2. Then what? Then he walked with God. So what did he do the first 65 years? He didn't walk with the Lord. Path change. I think it's important. Okay, we can at any time in our life, we can have a path change. Enoch didn't walk with the Lord early, but he did here. In fact, when you go to Hebrews 11, it's amazing what it says. But notice it. He then walked with the Lord. And when you go to chapter Hebrews 11 and verse 5, it, said he, it doesn't tell you how. It says He was pleasing to the Lord and the Lord took Him up. That's why you have verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to what? Please God. Enoch walked with the Lord started when his son was born. And he had a walk of faith. We don't know how God tested his faith or what that involved. We're never told. I think it's important for anyone to recognize on Father's Day or any other day, we can choose to change our ways. Anytime somebody wants to make a change, they can. 
But there is a path change you made. There will be a friend change you made. Because you will become like the friends you're around. Psalms 1, you're going to be like the people you're around, sitting, standing, and walking with. You'll bad company, corrupts good morals. Proverbs 22 tells you the same thing, given anger. So I think it's interesting, but we can have a path change. And I think it all has to do with stopping and it starts with the mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. Romans 5, uh, 8 says, set your mind on things above. Colossians 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above. It all starts with our mind. What are we dwelling on? Where is your mind? If you want a path change, we can't. Anyone, by the way, that can go the other way too. You can be following the Lord and change. Demas did, for instance. But on Father's Day, I think a lot of times people think, well, this is just the way I've always been. What about Paul? Did he have a path change? What about Zacchaeus? Did he have a path change? What about Matthew, tax collector? Did he have a path change? What about Simon the Zealot? Did he have a path change? They had radical path changes. When the Lord gets a hold of somebody, they can have a radical path change. It's, are we wanting to give our life to Christ? To do it? But a path change. And I think it's interesting if if you're not on the right path, can you get on the right path? You know, I remember when I was on the. Uh, it's quite uh, you know you get off the bus. I took a bus from here to, to uh, Colorado Springs when I was 17. Get off the bus, somebody picks you up, and there's four of us from different cities who come, and we're going to go to stress camp. They hand you a topographical map, said, "Go climb the mountain." You can't see the map. You don't know where you're going other than you have to learn how to read a map and you gotta go fucking. You start trusting quite rapidly in the map and trying to figure out the different geography on a map and how to read the train and what it's supposed to be doing. How much you gonna say the word of God? It's there. But if you're survival and you're supposed to get to point if you want to eat dinner tonight, you're gonna to get here. You're going to really learn real quick on how to read a map. Look over at another Look over in uh, 3 John for a moment. So we have the taking the first step, studying and learning the bent of the child, practice what we preach. We have a path change that we can all make at any time, good or bad. If we truly want to follow the Lord, we can make a path change. Third John, you'll notice, first of all, in verse 2, and the point would be prayer and praise, but notice in verse 2, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Well, one, I think, first of all, is praying. He's talking about a child here, spiritual children, and I think it's interesting, one is prayer. But notice the next thing it says, Notice what about praise. For I'm very glad, verse 3, when the brethren came and bore witness to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. One is, are we praying for them? Two, are we praising them? And what's the ultimate prize? Ultimate prize for His children when they're walking in the truth. How many of you... I've always wanted to please your parents. 
I don't care what age you are. If we really feel that way, what about our own kids? What prize do we put in number one? College degree, making six-figure income, whatever it might be. And that's how they think they're going to get your love or whatever. The greatest joy and emphasis we need to put on is we're praying and we're praising them and we would like you to be walking with the Lord. You can make an income doing all kinds of things. And just because you make a lot of money or don't doesn't make you happy. I work for millionaires, people who own Lear jets, own ocean-going vessels, have captains, have pilots, and some of the most miserable people I've ever been around in my life. I mean, just miserable. And I've had complimented you or saying stuff to me, I wish to have a relationship with my dad like you have, or vice versa. Money will not do it. But are we praying and praising the people? They want to please you. Do we really want to emphasize the right things? I think it's interesting. Uh, what about kids and your, your grandkids? Do they have any things? What are we doing with them? I think another one you have is you'll find it over in uh, Colossians or Ephesians chapter 6. Another one we're told. And, uh, my daughter, especially one, was real good about quoting this verse to me. <laughs> Ephesians 6. Verse 4, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. <laughs> I could uh, recognize a couple of them in the back for shaking their head. They knew exactly where I was going with this one. But I think it's interesting. We can provoke. Are we, is it un- you know, are we trying to get them to go beyond things they can't do? Or we're nitpicking at things that don't really matter? How many of you, the older you've gotten, have really recognized how many times we majored on the minors and we minored on the majors? It's interesting when they talk about provoke, but also uh, don't provoke not, but to correct. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in the first, uh, from 4 to verse 10, you have to turn there, 4 to 10, Paul gives them compliments a lot of things. It isn't until verse 10 that Paul makes a correction. He does this a lot in the epistles. He's writing to make some corrections, but he gives a lot of compliments. I think the same thing would, would be a good habit for us to do too. Is to when we're wanting to make corrections, but also make compliments. If all we do is criticize, then anytime they see you, what do they think? I'm never good enough. You'll never do this. They get you know. You ever had a boss that way? Only time you ever saw him was when you did something wrong. You could have done 20 things right. You never hear about it. We can do that same thing as a parent and a grandparent. Praise them when they're doing things right. But we need to make corrections. I think also when you look at corrections, if it's a public uh, sin, then you discipline publicly. You find that with Galatians 2 when it talks about Peter and, and Barnabas corrected publicly. But when it's in private, you do it privately. You have that with Ananias, or not with Ananias, but with uh, Apollos when they were corrected by Aquila and Priscilla. I think it's important too. If your kids are anything like mine, when they get in public, do they know they're in public and they can get away with more? Because you're so scared to do much in public because of what the society with which we live. People will be very, very, they know that. But I think it's important uh, really to major on the important things. Really look at and make the corrections. Let me give you the last one. Look over in Psalm 68 and verse 5. 
Notice it says a, I'm talking about God, a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows. We have a lot of people today who do not have fathers. You have a heavenly father, but how many of us can be a father to them? Help fill the role. You have the mentoring. You know, Glenn's done that at times with the pregnancy resource. You have all kinds of ones that are out there. There's a new organization now that's been out for a while talking about grandparents filling the role. And I commend so many of you who are doing a great job of filling in a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting in Galatians 6, it says, continue in verse 9, continue to do good and don't lose heart because you will re- reap the rewards. You're going to get tired. How of you can't do what you once could do at your age? And your kids, especially grandkids, they're running around like a chicken with their head cut off you're thinking, man, I can't even stand here and watch you without getting tired. But I think it's important to recognize don't lose heart. You're filling a very, very important role. And it can cost you a lot of retirement money. It can cost you a lot of retirement things. But think of the eternal benefit you get for filling that role. And I think it's important because people around you will tell you all kinds of stuff. But what role does God want? So let's think about it through that. I'll give you those once again, taking the first step, how many of us are always waiting for them? They're the ones that messed up. Take the first step. Study and listen and understand what bent do they have. And by the way, does that not work in marriage too? We all have a different bent, different things. Um, second one, practice, or third one, practice what you preach. All of us are going to make mistakes. The quickest thing to do is own up to a mistake and move on. Path changing, we can all make a change, good or bad. It doesn't matter how you've been this way for a long time. You can make a change if you so choose. Prayer and praise, I think it's important. Pray for them, praise them, and really encourage the greatest things to walk with the Lord. Uh, provoke not, but we do need to correct. I think a lot of you have probably been to restaurants like I have here recently, and it seems like the children get away with murder and there is no parent that's there. They're on their phone all the time. We don't need to provoke, but we do need to correct. And the last one, I just called it Pops. The reason I called it Pops is Gene, grandfather, was really instrumental, died early, but really instrumental in her life. And they always called him Pops. In fact, when they asked... Will asked, what do you want to be called by your son and daughter? I thought, Pops. I really don't want to be called Granddad or whatever. I thought, well, I'll get something different. So anyway, now when Caleb sees me, he wants Pops to go everywhere with him. And it's what you can really help work with. They need relief, and you can help instill a lot of things with them. So think about what role can you play in it. You think about it with Bobby. And you have all these different ones who really can play an important role. How long do we have them? We don't know. But we can play. So think about it with fathers. I think we've had great, many great ones. And we can become a great one too if we so choose to do so. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, 
and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.